The reading is taken from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this uh, wonderful passage of Scripture. We thank you that it can shine its light into our lives at the beginning of this new year. And we pray that you'd encourage us to live by it and to come on a daily basis throughout this year and beyond to the light and live in the light. Amen. So the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John chapter 1 verse 5. It seems really strange to have got to January the 4th, and it feels like I've spent most of Christmas standing in this pulpit preaching at you, uh, but not yet to have preached a sermon uh, on, at this Christmas time on John chapter 1. And so that's why I've chosen to do this today on the first Sunday of the year, and to kind of apply it to uh, a vision for this year of 2009 as we go into it. So uh, have John chapter 1 open, and look particularly at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And if you're at all familiar with John's Gospel, which I'm sure many of you are, when you look at that verse in particular, it would cast your mind forward by a couple of pages to John chapter 3 and verse 19. Just turn over two pages and look at that, where we read a little bit more about the same theme. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. 
But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Of course, we Christians do make terrible mistakes, and often we make it hard for people to believe. But I'm still surprised that people do not think that the world would be a better place if we all lived a little bit more like Jesus. That seems so obvious to me, that the world would be a better place if people lived more like Jesus. But this, these verses in John chapter 3 have the answer to that case. Sadly, because of sin, many people do not want their lives exposed to God's light because they are afraid of what it will reveal. They do not want to be changed, and their hostility may well be be directed towards us Christians because the light in us, however dim at times, might reveal their own darkness. I am astonished, for instance, truly astonished, to read in the newspaper this week the reaction of some people from within the church, within the liberal wing of the church, to the fact that Barack Obama has invited... um, What's his name? My mind's gone completely back. Rick Warren. Rick, I've forgotten his Christian name. Rick Warren, the author of Purpose Driven Church, Purpose Driven People, great American pastor, evangelical leader, invited him to say the prayer at the inauguration ceremony. And the liberal wing within some of the... Absolutely horrified that Barack Obama can do this. That seems to me quite extraordinary that someone that they should oppose someone who is doing, is doing so well to spread Christianity. But we shouldn't be surprised, perhaps, because people fear the light and love the darkness. Whatever else we resolve to do and be in 2009, let's d- decide that we will end it more like Jesus than when, we, than when we begin it today. Let's at least decide to do that and pray that every day. Lord, may I finish this day more like Jesus than when I began it. And that will mean at times a deliberate decision on our part as Christians to shun the darkness to which in our sinful nature we are naturally drawn. It is amazing, isn't it, the muddles that we manage to get ourselves into. Some of us here are in pretty frightful muddles right now. And it's very painful to go through these muddles. Often they're caused when relationships break down. Under the stress of loneliness or isolation, bad decisions get made, things that we regret later. It's as if we're fumbling about in the darkness, looking for the light, maybe like when you get up in the middle of the night when you get to my age, and you trip over and hurt yourself. My uh, aged father, who died 10 or so years ago, whenever Sue was reminding me of this the other day, whenever he got up in the night to go to the loo, he would stub his toe on something. So every morning when he stayed, there was a sort of trail of blood around the house, (laughs) knowing that he had been there, because he couldn't find the light. Couldn't find the light. To live close to Jesus in 2009 is to remain in the light. The two things are very closely connected. Let's resolve to be close to Jesus this year as a church, uh, and let us resolve to be close to Jesus individually. Pete Nicholas is the chap who heads up the Department of Christians in Sport, which reaches out to adult and professional sports people. And he sends out, I think it's a weekly um, kind of Bible study for professional and adult sports people to help them in their Christian lives. And in the one that he sent this week, he included the words of a song by Sam Sparrow. And the, the words are these. You may well be familiar with them. 
If the fish swam out of the ocean and grew legs and they started walking, and the apes climbed down from the trees and grew tall and they started talking, and the stars fell out of the sky and my tears rolled into the the ocean, now I'm looking for a reason why you even set my world into motion. Because if you're not really here, then the stars don't even matter. Now I'm filled to the top with fear. But it's all just a bunch of matter. Because if you're not really here, then I don't want to be either. I want to be next to you. And Pete goes on saying this in his, uh, in his email. He's questioning what the nature of the world we live in is and what ultimate reality is. What is the way things really are? Are we a bunch of random atoms rattling around in a meaningless universe? Because if we are, then that's very depressing. Or is there something more? In John's Gospel, John introduces us to Jesus, the Logos, become flesh. And as he does so, he shows us what the ultimate reality behind the universe is. And it's not a cold, meaningless existence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is saying that that is ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's the reality that shaped the universe in the beginning, and it's the reality that shapes the universe now. And it's an ultimate reality of intimacy. The Word was with God. And he goes on to explain how the meaning of the phrase with God implies being as close to someone as it's possible to be. It's a relational term, he says, expressing both compassion and tenderness. The kind of with that we would say when we say that a mother is with child, with carrying a child. Christ, God's Son, was with God the Father, intimately loving him and delighting him for eternity. In 2009, then, as we stay in intimate relationship with Jesus, so we stay in the light. There's a connection between this intimacy, this meaning in life that is found in relationship with God and with one another, and being in the light. As we are in the light and in relationship with Jesus, may I suggest that in 2009 we have more chance of resisting the seductive allure of the darkness, which will certainly be there to seduce some of us and will be seeking to seduce us day by day. So as we peer into 2009, what light is shed on how things might be for us as a church? And I want, if I may, to suggest four goals for us, four for things that we might like to keep in our minds as we go into a new year. Someone said, uh, we need to change our ways when we see the light and not wait until we feel the heat. I thought that was rather good. We need to change our ways when we see the light and not wait until we feel the heat. My first goal, if you like, for 2009, my first anticipated goal is they all begins with C, very conveniently. The first one is challenge. I think for many people it will be a year of challenge. You hardly need me to tell you that. Obviously the recession is going to hit people uh, and a lot of people who live around us here will be very hard hit. I was talking to someone today 
who was deeply fearful of their pension, their reaching retiring age, and their uh, savings have been more or less wiped out. So they're very challenged by what the future will hold for them. And we as a church cannot expect to be immune from the challenge that recession brings. We need to think of ways that we can help people who become victims of the recession. Already I've been approached uh, on behalf of one family who live uh, near us in North Oxford in Cutslow for whom life has become extremely difficult to ask how we as a church can help. We may need to recognize the need, need for us as individuals to give not less but more because recession is biting. We may need to prioritize our giving more than we have before so that we give first rather than from what is left over. Give first and spend second. Martin Luther King said, the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of comfort and convenience, but where they stand at times of challenge and controversy. Well, I anticipate a bit of controversy in 2009. It wouldn't be St. Andrew's without it. Uh, But where will you stand when this controversy and challenge come? So I think it will be a year of challenge, individually and collectively for us as a church. I also think that it will be a year of change. I hope you noticed, you probably haven't even noticed yet on the first Sunday of the year, that we have slightly changed the pattern of services. It's quite a small change, uh, and like everyone else as I get older, I find that I like change less and less. But I am a profound believer in change. I'm struggling already I'm struggling already to remember when we're supposed to have communion services under this new pattern. And if I can't remember, the chances of the church wardens getting it right and getting the communion ready on on the right night of the week, we could have all sorts of confusions. That was not one of my C's, but it would be quite a good one for St. Andrews. Um, But we're going to change things a little bit. If I can't remember it, how can the best of you, how can the rest of you remember? However, scientists have come up with a word to describe organisms that are not constantly changing. The word is dead. <laughs> I, I, always thought, I always thought the Baptists were rather hard done by in the old light bulb joke. Do you remember how it goes? How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Who ever heard of change? Uh, but, but perhaps one more, we're more prone to the variation of the joke How many members of an established Bible-teaching church that is over 100 years old does it take to change a light bulb? One to change the bulb, and nine to say how much they like the old one. (laughs) Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. Jesus is the light, so we can change light bulbs as often as we like. In fact, we should keep changing the light bulbs. It prevents death. Actually, the nature of our church here in Oxford determines that we do change because people come and go so much from Oxford. It's just the nature of our great city and university that we have new people bringing new ideas, new ways of doing things all the time. It's constantly refreshing. But let me encourage you, as I encourage myself, to be ready to change, to change. Maybe you need to change your small group. What I feel sometimes is that as Christians, it's so easy for us to grow stale. 
just to do things like we've always done. Go to the same fellowship group because we've always been, so long as you do go to one, that is. I mean, better to go to a stale one than not to go to one at all. But, uh, but, if, but why not change? Why not meet some new people? Why not, if you're in disgust, think about joining a fellowship group? So I don't want to empty disgust, but maybe if you don't go to disgust, go to disgust if you're in your 20s and 30s. Maybe you can change your area of service if you got stale in doing that. Change the age group that you work with. Join the visitors team. Do something different. Maybe we need to change and refresh the way that we read the Bible each day and pray. Why not read the Bible in a year, the whole Bible in a year, as some people are committing them to do. You can read about that in the notice sheet. If the light of Jesus, the word made flesh, is growing a bit dim, then the best way to invigorate it is to change something. It actually is the best way of doing it. Change something. Be refreshed. Change. Let's always be changing. My third C is conversions. I hope and pray that it will be a year of conversions. There are moments, being a vicar, when you wonder exactly what you're trying to do. Just occasionally, I get to the end of a day and I think to myself, have I really achieved anything for the kingdom today? Did any light shine at all in the darkness as a result of you paying me and giving me a nice house to live in? Just occasionally I get to the end of the day and think that. Just occasionally. (laughs) And then I think of those who have been recently converted. Some of you are here this evening. Are now part of our fellowship. Perhaps some have gone and joined another church for one reason or another, which is fine. Perhaps you came and got converted here from another church and have gone back to that church. That's fine. When I think of those people, I realize that the light shone into their darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I think it's the reality of conversion that is one of the most exciting things about being a Christian. I was simply amazed, as I know some of you were, uh, to read this week in the Times an article by Matthew Paris. Several of you sent me copies of it uh, and it was very helpful indeed where he writes that despite being an atheist, he recognizes that in Africa, for example, only faith in the Christian God actually changed people's hearts and therefore would change Africa. He recognized, even though he's an atheist, the essential necessity of religious conversion if the light is going to shine into the darkness. He he had been on a a visit, I think it was to Malawi recently, visiting a place where he had been, he grew up in Zimbabwe and he'd gone back and he saw, as we all see whenever we read about Africa or visit Africa, the glorious richness and the culture and the people, the wonderful people, the growth of the church, but also the extraordinary grip of tribalism and so on and how hard that is to break. And here he is as an atheist saying what is required is Christian conversion. Let us resolve as a church that we will not tire of getting people to the starting line of Christian experience. We must never tire of calling people to repentance and faith, getting them to the starting line. At one of the Christmas parties that I attended, and thank you incidentally following the carol service for the absolute plethora of invitations that came our way. It was great. Thank you very much. And um, at one of these parties, I was talking to Martin Percy, who is the principal of Cudston, Theological College. Martin is a delightful and interesting person. 
but one who has moved, I think he'd say quite clearly himself, from a firm, charismatic, evangelical background to somewhere a bit different, let's put it like that. He asked me what I thought was different about St. Andrew's to other evangelical Anglican churches in Oxford. Very perceptive, good question. I said that we are as committed as all the other evangelical churches, including the Anglican churches, to evangelical churches, that is, to proclaiming the gospel and winning people for Christ. But perhaps at St. Andrews we're not so prescriptive as some as to how people will run the race of faith once they have started. And I quoted Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 12 to him, which is a very important verse for me, that we continue to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We expect people here to work out the implications of their own salvation, having got to the starting line, how you follow Christ. You know, we try to teach the Bible, but we let people follow Christ in different ways, if you like. It's part of the richness of our culture as a church. Principal of Cudston seemed very pleased with this answer, which was slightly alarming. <laughs> now, I do not want to be misunderstood on this because uh, if the best thing in Christian ministry, or one of the best things, is seeing the light that John talks about here in the prologue, the light of Jesus switched on in people, as it says in verse uh, 12, as they receive Jesus and believe on his name, something if you're a Christian is the process exactly what you've gone. That is the starting line, to receive Jesus and believe on his name. That is the starting point of Christian experience. If that is the best, one of the best things about being a Christian, seeing other people get to the starting line, then one of the saddest things is seeing the light dim as people's love for Jesus grows cold. But I'm seeing more clearly than I used to that given the presupposition of the vital fact of conversion, given that, and absolutely hanging on to that, uh, that there can be light, the light can shine very brightly sometimes in traditions other than the evangelical one. And let's be honest, sometimes in the evangelical one, the light can shine pretty dimly as well. Of course, I long and work that people remain strong in their evangelical, rock-solid, Bible-believing Christian faith. That's where I am, I assure you. That's where I long for people to be. But it's not necessarily the end of the world if someone goes from here and ends up in leadership of another church, which is different from us by tradition, as long as they are keenly still trying to spread the light. That, of course, we must assume is to be the case. If they're not trying to spread Christianity, or if they're attacking those who do spread Christianity, then, in my view, it's open season on them. But if the different tradition is seeking to spread Christianity a different way from us, let us rejoice. Our job as an evangelical church, in part at least, is to get to people to the starting line, so that filled by the Spirit of God, he takes them to the place where they can be most fruitful for him. So therefore, if Meg wants to go and work in a secular charity and do that and share her faith in that way, praise God for that. If someone else wants to come and work as a youth worker in a church, praise God for that. We are great. It's great to be converted and diverse, I believe. The next C, my last C, uh, for 2009 is this. It's the word celebration. 
I hope that 2009 will be a year of celebration. I do think that it's going to be a tough year, actually a number of ways which will emerge as we go along. I rather expect that the recession will sharpen our differences a little bit, leave us less room for complacency, cause us to look very closely as a church at how we spend our money and how we account uh, to all of you for that. That's why one of the reasons, at least, why we're going to have regularly throughout the year these celebration of ministry days starting next week as we celebrate the children and youth ministry and hearing from the staff and volunteers working in that part of our church's life. And then in March, we'll celebrate the work of our mission partners, as we always do. And in the summer, we'll celebrate what it means to belong to a small group and to groups like Discuss and so on. Details of all that will come out in due course. If it is true that light shines in the darkness, and if the darkness has not understood it, and incidentally, um, people say, experts tell me, that that's a poor translation It really means that the darkness has not extinguished or overcome the light. Jonathan Moby, hot foot from Wycliffe Hall, tells me that the best translation of all is that the darkness has not apprehended it, which he says, I said, that sounds like a policeman arresting someone. He said, that's exactly right, but it also contains this idea of not, um, not fully understanding it either. So it's very good. If it's true that light shines in the darkness... And the, and the light cannot be put out. The darkness cannot apprehend it, cannot extinguish it, cannot win. If the light wins, then we Christians always have a great deal to celebrate. As we meet together week by week here, every week we have much to celebrate, whatever else is happening in our society or in our individual lives. Of course, we anticipate the great celebration of heaven And we often preach about that. But I firmly believe that the incarnation and the prologue, the message of the prologue of John's gospel, clearly brings this out, is that it affirms this life here and now. This life, as well as heaven, is to be a life of celebration of God. Now is the time to celebrate. Over, actually, uh, yesterday evening, we watched the... um, film of Narnia again uh, uh, with our grandchildren, with Josh and Isabel, who are 10 and 6. They love it. And there is that lovely moment in the film when the winter begins to end and the trees begin to blossom. The thaw comes. Spring begins again as the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve are drawing nearer to Aslan. As they draw nearer to Aslan, so Uh, the thaw comes. As we we meet week by week this year, God's warmth spreads over hearts frozen in sin. We will see people thawed out and one for Jesus this year as the light shines into the darkness. Let's celebrate that strange warming that the Spirit brings as we show acts of kindness in Jesus' name, in our community, to our friends and families, perhaps as we extend and improve our ministry on the Cutslow Estate during 2009, the warmth spreads to sad, struggling, and lonely people. As they experience that warmth, let's celebrate with them. 
as we struggle on to endless discussions with friends. Eight years they've been working in Sydney with that family. Eight years, and then the warmth began to come. In Narnia, what was it, 100 years since Father Christmas had last been there? Was it 100 years? I think it was 100 years. Maybe you have been, had so many discussions with your friends, so many red herrings have been fished out of the pond, and you've been talking and talking and talking, and you think they're never going to get it at all. And then gradually the light begins to come, and they begin to be warmed by the truth of the gospel. We've seen some quite unlikely people converted this year at St. Andrews. It's very encouraging. Let's celebrate. Let's celebrate weekly, daily, the fact that it is so good to be a Christian. It is so good to be a Christian. Even if disaster comes, as it will for some perhaps this year, because that's how life is, illness, death, accident, mishap, tragedy, whatever it is, let's let's resolve to keep our eyes fixed on the one whose light shines in the darkness. So that whatever life throws at us, with him, whatever happens, there is always celebration. There is always celebration. So 2009, I believe, will be a year of change, a year of challenge, a year of conversions, and a year of celebration. Happy New Year. Let's pray. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not apprehended it. Father, we come to uh, the light this evening, and we come to the light uh, out of the darkness, the darkness of the world that we live in, the darkness of a, a suffering world, a world of war and starvation, of ignorance, of disease, of sin of so much that we would long to be different. A world of refugees from Sudan. A world of mutilated children in Sierra Leone. A world of darkness. And yet, your light shines in the darkness. More Christians now than a year ago. And more people warmed by your spirit. An inextinguishable light has come into the world and it has shone into our hearts by your grace. So I pray for each one of us and for us as a church that this year we would live in the light and love every minute of it. For Jesus' sake. Amen.